With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Zero Ducks Given, a brand new cricket podcast and what a week of cricket it has been. England pulled off a stunning victory in Chennai, only the second time India have lost at home in a test match since 2013 and the West Indies produced something arguably even more incredible with Kyle Mayers on debut scoring 210 not out to lead the West Indies to a stunning win by free wickets against Bangladesh. Test cricket is alive and well, and it is going nowhere soon. In other news, Pakistan are still pretty good. South Africa are still pretty crap. And nobody really watches the T10 League, although I won't criticise it too much because it could be Stephen Finn's retirement plan. So lots to get through in our first ever episode. The question is, will our podcast debut be Kyle Mayers or will it be Darren Pattinson? We are going to find out over the next 45 minutes or so. So please allow me to introduce you to the rest of the team as I am joined by ex-England fast bowler Stephen Finn and TMS commentator Daniel Norcross. Stephen Finn, great to see you, mate. Great to have you here. I've got to ask you, going straight in, talking about uh, you know Kyle Mayers and uh, Darren Pattinson and our podcast debut. I don't know the answer to this. What was your first ever professional game of cricket? Can you remember? I know it was a long time ago now. I can remember my first ever game of professional cricket. Um, I was 16 years old, um, uh, played for Middlesex against Cambridge University, and I got a lift to the game with John Embry, who was the coach at the time, who ex-England legend and Middlesex head coach. And I've never been with someone in a car driving to the game that's driven more like a lunatic than Embers did that day. And as my mum waved me off into the sunset, without a driving license I really did think I was taking my life into my own hands uh, by getting a lift with him to the game that day Um, but it was a three-day game at Fenners in Cambridge so whenever I go back there it always holds a place in my heart as the place where I made my first class debut and it was sandwiched in between 
the middle of GCSE exams as well. So, um, yeah, there are a couple of caveats to that, but it was good fun. And yeah, to get out there against the university students at 16 with a few guys, Ed Smith, current England national selector, a number of other first team players as well. So yeah, it was good fun. The, the big question is, how did you do? Did you take any wickets? I was going to say, did you score any runs? But unlikely. Yeah, didn't get a bat. It tends to be the way that it used to go in those games where the first class team bats first and gets about 7,000. <laughs> and then the university students get knocked over twice for not very many. So, um, yeah, I didn't manage to get a bat in that game. And it's probably a good job too, because I was literally a walking wicket when I was 16 years old. I hasn't improved much in the last 15 years to 31 either, but uh, <laughs> at least I can have a slog and go down swinging if I do. But yeah, didn't get a bat, and I think I got two wickets in the game, but bowled, bowled pretty decent. I was under all those silly restrictions that you are as a young fast bowler in that game. So, yeah, it was just fun to be out there with uh, all these grown men when I was really a kid. Of course, I forget about that. You're probably only allowed to bowl like six over spells and weird things like that. Ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, Daniel Norcross, I've got two questions for you. First of all, when Stephen Finn mentioned uh, John Embury there, um, so I should explain for people listening, we are all on Zoom at the moment, so I can see uh, each other's faces. We are hoping to record in actual person at some point, but at the moment, Zoom will have to do. Daniel, what were you doing with your hands while Stephen Finn mentioned Embury there? Because what were oh, you well, miming? Well, I was just, I was just describing what, what a huge personality he he generally is, you know, in, in English cricket and, uh, and, and what kind of uh, massive presence he is in every dressing room, which I'm, I'm sure Stephen Finn will, will, will agree. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, Dan, I mean, I guess same question to you as a as a broadcaster. I guess if like mm. if Jonathan Agnew is the housewife's favourite, you're, you're sort of like the you're like the you're like the sort of sad, lonely, alcoholic woman's third favourite on TMS. <laughs> I guess is the best way to describe you. How, How dare you? I'm, I'm actually the sad, lonely, alcoholic woman's uh, actual favourite. <laughs> I've, I've discovered this lately. Yeah, I, I, my fan club of four or five. A wonderful women, by the way. I'd just like to say hats off to them. Uh, and <laughs> Are they all family members? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they have taken my my pleas to stop sending cake and actually just bombard us with booze uh, to heart, which is a, a, a positive development. I'm very pleased to see. Uh, what about your TMS debut then, Dan? How did you do? Were you any good? Well, yeah, okay. This is dead complicated. So I'll try. I'll try. Well, I, my, my TMS debut was actually England women against India women. And I made a massive balls up because we were commentating really close to the pitch without, because you have to do, do it under a tent, right? And Charlotte Edwards, the greatest probably woman cricketer England's ever produced, you know, for, in terms of influence, dropped an absolute sitter about 10 yards in front of me. And I shouted at the top of my voice, oh, my God, what's she done? That was an absolute sitter. You know, she then turns and stares at me. And then my uh, my men's debut test match was at was at Edgebaston in 2016 for a very interesting game. England won. And, um, and and that was when I got to work with blowers for the only well the only time in a test match. And it, that was instructive. I tell you, it, it taught me an awful lot, the blowers, in the space of five days. I got the nod because um, Aggers was off commentating on dancing horses the disco dancing horses at the olympics oh, he loves he loves he, yeah he loves that sort of you know he the, loves the trotting, dancing, the trotting horse, dancing dressage horses. yeah adores it especially disco dressage because they've got an extra layer now where they do it to sort of you know saturday night fever 
It's, Do they? No, yeah. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. <laughs> really, I'd like to see them do it to something really depressing. I'd like to see a horse mope around to Radiohead. <laughs> would be much. <laughs> if you could get that on the red button during the Olympics, would be fantastic viewing. Uh, well, lovely to have you both here, and uh, what fine careers it's been since those debuts as well. Let's get on to Test cricket because it is the best thing in the world. England set India a target of 420 runs to win, much to the dismay of keyboard warriors on social media who were not happy at how long England took to declare, but uh, never in doubt because they bowled out India for 192 runs. Jack Leach ended with figures of four for 76 after getting a bit of stick in the first innings. So very, very well done him. He's shown a lot of character in his very brief international career already, Jack Leach. Uh, and Jimmy Anderson, figures of three for 17 um, but it was that over, which I'm so glad I got out of bed for. It was one of the great overs. If you haven't seen it yet, two off pegs cartwheeling out the ground. In fact, I thought it was fascinating. The off peg, the balls were so identical. The off stump actually landed almost to the centimetre in the exact same spot both times. It was a thing of beauty. Um, had a very close uh, LBW shout turn down on the over as well. A proper exhibition of reverse swing bowling in the subcontinent. The subcontinent where people said he did, couldn't take wickets and now his bowling average is under 30. And in recent years, his average there is absolutely ridiculous. So India lost their f- only their third test since 2013. Uh, there's still three games to go. You wouldn't have guessed that by social media this morning. England fans already celebrating. We've already planned the open top bus parade. Nonetheless, let's talk about Jimmy Anderson. He's bowled over 5,000 overs in cricket. Uh, international cricket, but probably none better than that one. Stephen, when you played with Jimmy Anderson, you know, when you first got the England team, could you ever have imagined that he would go on to still be playing now at 38, not only playing now, bowling as quick as he ever has and possibly better than he ever has? I mean, I don't want to disrespect you too much here, Finney, but basically in the time that you had your England career, James Anderson had already played about five years, survived the whole of your career, and has carried on for about five years afterwards as well. He's, he's pretty damn good. Could you see it when you worked with him day in, day out? Or has he surprised even you? No, I don't think it's all that surprising. I think you look at him as an athlete first and foremost, and he's in great physical condition and he always has been. He's got that lithe frame for a fast bowler. He's not particularly big. Um, I mean, I make a lot of people look small, but you wouldn't say he's massive for a fast bowler when you stand next to him. Uh, and you just... When I played with him, one of the things that was noticeable was just how consistent he was with everything that he did. When he goes out there in the middle, he's got this real competitive edge that means that it's always constantly driving himself forward to get better. So I think we've seen the the perfect amalgamation of that in this tour of India so far, especially in the way that he bowled to bowl India out on that last innings and just showed that it doesn't really matter if you're not hitting 95 miles an hour, there's a lot of other subtleties that come with fast bowling that can make you an effective bowler. And there's absolutely no doubt that he is is still a very, very effective bowler or he's better than an effective bowler. He's a genius. I think there's no other way to look at it other than James Anderson is a genius. And I was very glad that I got to stand at mid-off for quite a number of times in an England shirt with him, albeit the fact that it made me look really shit next to him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he does, you know, because some international, good international bowlers spend their whole career trying to perfect one delivery. You know, Dale Stain spent his whole career very, very well, uh, very, very well, very, very good at it. But he bowled a nice, full, fast away swinger and he built his whole career around it. James Anderson's mastered about 15 different deliveries. He can land them wherever he wants. I think the biggest testament you can pay to that over against Rahani is Rahani is batting 
in his favourite home conditions with a batting average of about 45. And you knew what James Anderson was trying to bowl. We all did. He was trying to bowl a full in-swinger. And Rahani knew he was going to bowl that. And he trapped him LBW very close the first time and then bowled it, even though he knew what was coming. He couldn't do anything to stop it. Uh, Daniel Norcross, and I know that you love crickets more, more than anything. Mm. Um, so hands where I can see them, if you, in case you get too carried away talking about this. But um, James Anderson, oh. discuss. Well, wow. I had, uh, it's not normally a pleasure to be involved in the post-match press conference, but today I did because he was put up after the match today and he said something really instructive. He, he was asked a question by Andrew Miller, quick info. In 2012, he said, you're at your peak and you're playing really, really well out in India. Do you think you might even be better? And he looked affronted. He said, of course I'm better than I was in 2012. I'm loving it more than ever. I'm loving being in the nets. I'm developing new skills, new balls. I mean, that is extraordinary for a man who's 38. Because, look, over the course of time, we've spent a fair bit of time with Finney and we hear these moaning fast bowlers. It's the toughest job in the world. Nobody has it as tough as we do. And they can't wait to retire, frankly, and then tell you how tough it's been and how batters have it easy. Jimmy Anderson doesn't want to stop. He said to me in Australia three years ago after the Ashes series when they lost Bournemouth, he said, he was really grumpy. He said, why is everybody having a go about my age? He said, well, because obviously you're not going to come back to Australia in four years' time. So obviously we think about who's the next generation. He says, why do you think that? Why do you think that I would want my last experience of going to Australia to be to lose 4-0? And then he started going off on this rant, you know, about how he was better than he'd ever been. And he, the thing is, he is better than he's ever been. It's absolutely staggering. Mm. It's like he's got the guile of an off-spinner, a really, really good off-spinner like Graham Swan, with the pace of, not great pace, but it's, you know, over 80 miles an hour. You're bowling those things. And then and you don't even know if it's going to come away from you, in from you. Graham Fowler once said about Malcolm Marshall that he finally worked out that he was, which one was the outswing and which one was the inswing. And the problem was he still couldn't play it. And yeah. that is what Jimmy Anderson has become. I think he's a testament to the love of the game. He has no interest in becoming a T20 specialist and making money out of that later in his career. All he wants is test match wickets. I'm starting to think he could get he get 700. He could get 800. I don't know when he's going to yeah. retire. He could be going in like five years. This is insane. And and we should mention as well that he's, he's had his, for the first time ever, he had a few injuries last year. And you just thought, oh, you know what? Sadly, I don't think he's going to get to go out on his own terms. You know, old father time catches out of any man. He's had a few injuries. Is he really going to, you know, force his way back into the team? You know, Joffre Archer was bowling well at that point. So was Sam Curran. So was Mark Wood. You thought, oh, maybe this is the end of, of Jimmy, but what a player he's been. And then suddenly we're sitting here going, could he take 700 wickets? Could he take it's just, I mean, and the change of the, the guy that turned up in a red Mohican at the World Cup all those years ago that I remember as a young kid. And he was erratic. He was just far, trying to bowl far too quickly. Didn't really have much control. You'd never expect him to become the bowler that he has now. Uh, I, I tried to copy that haircut when I was a youngster. He was inspirational <laughs> to me. So I tried to copy the haircut on an England under-19s World Cup trip in 2008. Uh, I saw this legend, Jimmy Anderson, and Kevin Peterson at the time had the skunk in his hair. And I thought, Do you know what would be great for a World Cup is if I get my hair coloured bright red on the back, like little tips at the back of my head, if I had those coloured bright red, um, to carry myself and the boys to a World Cup victory in the Under-19 World Cup. So we were staying in a hotel in Colombo in Sri Lanka and there was a hairdresser's in the lobby. I mean, mistake, first and foremost, going to the 
hairdressers in the lobby of a dodgy Sri Lankan hotel. <laughs> Couldn't get a spot on the high street. No, no, it was. Um, it didn't fill me with the greatest of confidence. The bloke cutting my hair had one of the worst haircuts I've ever seen in my life. That's not a great start. It's always a sign, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that, that wasn't good. And then I just said to him, can you just put some some red tips on the back? Because I had this like quite long flowing back of my hair that was very, very fashionable at the time, almost the complete sure. yeah, yeah. opposite of mine now. Um, so so I, I got in there, got this haircut, I've come out like thinking I'm Jack the Lad, walked through the lobby and John Abrahams, who was the under-19s manager at the time, uh, took one look at it and he said, what have you done with your hair? And I was like, <laughs> well, you know, a bit of expression, John, you know, just go to the World Cup being my own man. And he was like you're shaving that off before we play the first game of the World Cup. And I was like, okay, John, yes, I am. You're right. So <laughs> I've still got a picture on my Facebook page, on my personal Facebook page of this big brown mop of hair with some bright red tips on it, just sheared on the bedroom floor when we got to Kuala Lumpur for the World Cup. Has Jimmy Anderson ever seen that photo? I think I did show it to him and he genuinely was howling with laughter and rolling around on the floor. Actually, I don't, I've got to say that this is interesting about group thing, very briefly, that cricket teams do do this because there's been a rash of absolutely terrible hair in Australia lately. And it's like all cricketers, the moment they see a cricketer get some wickets, they go, oh, yeah, maybe if I look like an absolute dweeb with the worst mullet you've ever seen in your life, I'll get some wickets. I mean, that superstition gone mad. Well, it's true. Well, Australians always, if in doubt, they go to the mullet. Uh, but also, you do see old clips, and after sort of Hughes and Lily, the moustache. You saw so many, so many shit Australian bowlers with a moustache in the sort of nineties that play like two Test matches, thinking, "Well, if I've got the moustache, the bowling will will look after itself." Surely, uh, I could talk about Jimmy Anderson all day. Sorry, Freddie, what do you want to say? About uh, talking of superstitions, I think I I um, also remember when we won the championship, Middlesex in two thousand and sixteen. I said to myself as we came to the final six weeks of the season and we had six games or so left, I said, I'm not going to shave until we've won the championship. Ooh. So, I mean, I'm not a very hairy man, given. I'm not going to grow a nice thick beard like you've got, Toby. It's just going to be a bit wispy. So the one regret that I've got is that when we turned up to the final day of that final game at Lords, and we were in the hunt to win the championship... I look like someone shaved like big bushy pubes off and just stuck it on my face. Um, and all the photos of us winning the championship that day, all the selfies that I've got on my phone of us celebrating is me with one of the worst beards in, in cricketing history. I'll tell you what you look like. You look like a llama with mange. That's what you look like. I was there. I was there that day. That's kind, I think. That's kind to me that day. You know, you know, 50 years from now, Finney, when you'll be looking back at those memories, you'll be going, why the fuck didn't I shave? Yeah, but, but at the time, this is the way a cricketer's mind thinks. At the time, you're like, well, if I shave and we lose, then it's the beard's fault that we've lost the championship. So I'm just going to keep going with it. It would have been wonderful for you. I mean, not obviously not for you, but for me as a, as a neutral, if you hadn't won the championship that year, you would have had to just kept growing the beard forever until, until eventually you win the championship. Um, we could talk about Jimmy Anderson all day, and uh, I'm sure that in the coming weeks on uh, Zero Ducks Given... We will talk about him an awful lot. But I felt a bit sorry for Joe Root this morning. Not that sorry, I'll be honest. He's, he's probably pretty happy. But, um, you know, Jimmy Anderson, as stunning as that over was, and as well as he bowled, he took five wickets in the game, bowled pretty well, had one particularly good over. Joe Root, on his 100th test match, scored a double 100, 
took one of the greatest catches, probably the best Joe Root catch I've ever seen, unless anyone can, can think of any better ones. Captain England to one of the most famous wins in its history. And everyone this morning was going, oh, Jimmy Anderson's good, isn't he? I mean, Joe Root was absolutely stunning, wasn't he? Yeah, he was absolutely stunning. But, you know, he made the fatal error, made the fatal error of not declaring early and therefore making Shane Warne annoyed because he had to stay up and keep watching the telly. And he also, <laughs> there were a bunch of broadcasters and they hate it when that happens. They go, come on, get on with it. All they can think about is, I've got, especially nowadays in COVID, we've got to get up at stupid o'clock in the morning thinking, they could have this wrapped up by half eight, eight o'clock, maybe earlier. I could be back in bed. Everything could be fine. I could get my whole like sleep rhythms back together. And Joe Root, with his crazy plan to keep on batting and grind endurance in the dust, that's that was the problem. That was why no one wanted to give him any credit. I've sat on both sides of that fence now because as a player, you're like, right, we need to get far enough ahead so that this game is completely unassailable and we're just guaranteed to win it, which I think in terms of for the beginning of the series, that's most definitely what England were doing. It's a message to say that we're going to grind you into the dirt to make sure that this series is as hard work for you as possible. But when I work for TMS in New Zealand and you're looking at the game and you're thinking, come on, lads, do me a favour. I could do with two or three hours off in the afternoon of the last day. Like just declare a little bit earlier. That, that'd be great. And I could go and get a late tea time on the golf course that afternoon. So yeah, I can most definitely see both sides of the argument on that one. I have to admit that uh, I, I did think there was a lot of uh, a lot of ex-cricketers on social media who won't be named, who were very, very, I thought, vocal about the declaration. However, if you go through their track record, declared in pretty much exactly the same way that Joe Root did. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting watching social media. You're, you're so right. The media hat is very different to the playing captaincy hat. Um, but Joe Root was absolutely superb and deserves a lot of credit for his ridiculous record now as a captain equaled the most wins as a captain. Their away record under Joe Root is fantastic. He's scoring runs again as captain as well. Um, he has just been absolutely superb. So very, very well done. What a hundredth test. Not bad. Um, there's a man who, who knows, he'll probably play a hundred more. Absolutely no idea. Um, Finney, when, when did you first discover Joe Root? Did you bowl against a, a young, even younger looking Joe Root for Yorkshire at some point? You must have done. And did he just look world class straight away? Or has he surprised you how good he is? No, he's most definitely not surprised me. I think... I didn't play against him until after he had played for England, but I was on that tour where he made his debut in 2012. And he was always this cheeky chap. He goes around snipping the end off people's socks. So you pull your sock up at the end of a day's play and it ends up around your knees. And he was doing it to pretty senior players in the dressing room uh, by, at the beginning of his test career. So you knew he had something about him to come into that environment with the characters that, we had in that dressing room at the time and to be able to behave like that. But there's very vividly one thing in training that I remember of him that I thought, because I didn't really know much about him before he got the call up for England. Um, and I was bowling a spell at him. I can't remember the stadium, but I was on the way back from a quad tear. And at the time I was bowling probably as well as I've ever bowled in my career with as much confidence as I've ever had in my career and I had this reverse swinging ball and you know usually you get player misses usually a lot happens when the ball's reverse swinging and I just remember him so intently watching what I was doing with the ball and by that I mean not just out of my hand but I back then I'd be able to flip the ball in my hand as I was coming up into my load up and he was able to watch that 
and pick which way the ball was going to swing before it had left my hand. So you made it look unbelievably easy. And that's like the first time I think that I really noticed how much of a ridiculously special talent he was. I think everyone knew that he was a special talent, but I, just bowling at him in that instance, and not that I'm a genius bowler or reverse swing bowler or far from it, but it was just one of those instances where I just thought walking back to my mind, like, Christ, this bloke could be really, really, really good. And uh, lo and behold, he's gone and played 100 test matches, averaging almost 50. Well, one of the things I'd like, like to, to say is that, you know, I remember commentating his first game. It was in Nagpur, wasn't it? And yeah. in the first innings, he actually looked all over the place against the spin of the Indians. And then the second innings, he changed his method. And it's that speed of thought. It's that adaptability that's extraordinary. And now you see him. He's got incredible clarity of mind. He's hit three consecutive scores of over 180. Only one man's ever done that, you know, in, te in three consecutive test matches, Kumar Sangakkara. He looks in total mastery of what he does. I mean, in, the, in this test, the one we've just had, he put the sweep away to start with. He didn't. He didn't do the thing that he'd been doing in Sri Lanka. We go, what's he doing here? But he's he was biding his time, and then then he got it out. And when he got it out, it was destructive. It's just incredible. It's like he's in complete control of what he does. And when you think about how much time we spend going on about, you know, there aren't any spinners in England. We don't have turning tracks. He's somehow one of the best players of spin in the world and one of the best players in the world's ever seen he averages 68 against it and it just it's just getting better and better it's a wonderful thing to watch yeah it really is and you know it's so nice seeing back scoring runs and there was some talk the last few years doesn't convert 50s to 100s but now he converts 50s to 200s which isn't a bad problem to have um one man that i will single out for some commiserations is you got a feel for for young dan lawrence i mean only what his third test match and you get a duck and you get a really good ball from from Bummer as well but when you get a four-ball duck, was it, in a score of nearly 600? I mean, that, that's got to hurt a few test matches in. Um, and, uh, Finney, I've got to ask you this. So, I'm not saying that this is Dan Lawrence, it's the worst game of cricket I've ever seen because, you know, it, it's happened to much better players than him. But what is your worst game, or at least your, your, your worst experience on a cricket pitch, Finney? That's a good question. There's been a couple. <laughs> over the course of the last 15 or 16 years. Um, but I've been pretty fortunate that the worst game of cricket that I've had was a very, very quick death, um, which I think can be a blessing in disguise sometimes because you're in there or you're out there, sorry, it happens. And then before you know it, you're in the dressing room with your tail between your legs. So the, our second game of the World Cup in 2015, we played against New Zealand and... This is when I think it was just so apparent that we were so far behind the curve of the way that one day cricket was going at the time. And I think we got bowled out for just over 100. We sort of plodded our way towards 100, prodded at, uh, Tim Southey, who took seven wickets, I think, in that game, bowling out swing, which just doesn't happen in an ODI. And then New Zealand came out and we were like, oh, well, they might knock it around, try and get it off 20 overs, you know, not do anything too cowboy. And <laughs> Brendan McCullum came down. And the first thing that I remember is just Brendan McCullum's studs were almost in my forehead by the time I let the ball go. He was just sprinting <laughs> down the wicket. And I think he hit me for 48 in two overs. And it was just 12 deliveries where you're walking back to your mark and everything's a blur. And, and you walk off the pitch and you're sat there 
and you just think, what on earth has just happened there? Uh, so I, my worst game of cricket, luckily, was a quick death, but it was a pretty brutal death, albeit. Um, I've got a couple of things, Finney, because first of all, thank you very much for sharing, and I hope that was I hope that was therapeutic to finally get that off. It's your off chest my yeah, it's just teetering <laughs> on the edge of the balcony there for a little while, but you've put me back off it, so thanks. <laughs> Feel free to to use this podcast over the coming weeks and months as, as a sort of therapy session. There, you know, this is a safe space. Um, but um, I, I hate I hate to be that guy, Finny. Here we go. I've actually got the score. <laughs> I've actually got the scorecard in front of me. Uh, did you two overs naught for forty eight? It's actually two overs naught for forty nine. You're doing yourself a bit of service there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, there's another bit that you did neglect to mention as well. Um, and uh, again, look, this is this is good for you. I know this uh, this hurts, but trust me, you need this. This is good for you. Um, you also batted in that game, uh, uh, plodded around in a nice one day international for an eight ball duck as well. Yeah, I, I just thought I could rebuild the innings and then explode towards the end. You know, if I gave myself a chance and got my eye in, that I thought that I might be able to drag us up near somewhere, somewhere near par. But as it turns out, par was a thousand if I was bowling. <laughs> well, thank you very much for sharing. And we, we may re- revisit that game several times in the future. Dan? It's, well, it's funny you should mention par was near a thousand because when looking at the very most unfortunate and worst games, uh, of all time, and that's partly what I'm here for—to to give you the aged consciousness that uh, that Toby and Steve perhaps can't be bothered with. Um, in 1938, I want to take you back in time. 1938. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The, the, I should point out the podcast is new. We haven't got a budget for sound effects yet, so Dan will be providing them where necessary. <laughs> At the Oval, England won the toss, and they opened the batting in a timeless Test match because it was the last game of the series. They scored 903. For seven declared. They took 335.2 overs over it. 335.2. That in modern day parlance is after tea on day four. They batted, right? So I can see Finney's face now going, <laughs> Oh, you have to be fucking joking me. <laughs> How many times I put my boots on? Len Hutton got 364. Morris Leyland, 187. We know, we know the stats, all of us. But you're in the England dressing room and you're Eddie Painter. 335 overs, yeah? Well, he was out for a duck after four balls. But Dennis Compton, the mighty Dennis Compton, got one of 14 balls. Neither of them bowled. They did sod all in the game. <laughs> the Australians only batted for 85 overs in the whole match. There were a lot of people who had a terrible, terrible game on that day. Or well, I say that, that day. Strike. On so those, if- on those it, well, how many days? Five days. <laughs> No, I mean, Dan Lawrence, if you're listening, I hope that provides some sort the thing I never get about those old scorecards when I, I love like pouring over old fascinating timeless test scorecards. The thing I don't get about that, right, is I get that you have all the time in the world. So there's no need to take any risks with your shots. But even if you just blocked, nobody bats 335 overs anymore. What was the bowling like? Like, what? Well, how? How is that possible? Well, do you know what? In those, in those days, they just got on with it. You know, they didn't bother with drinks breaks. They weren't. But you know, what what they would do was getting so completely knackered they had to bowl off like four paces. If you look at the old, I, I've got a colleague called Henry Moran who has a theory that all old cricket is rubbish. Now, I'd like to point out that's not my theory, but all old cricket is rubbish. And then, unfortunately, I, I say you've got to be joking. Harold Larwood was as, as as fast as the wind. Typhoon Tyson was called it for a reason. And then he goes and finds you some actual footage and 
There's a bit of me. Mate, there's a bit of medium I, I, pace dob going on out there. It's it's too early to get into this <laughs> this topic. We're going to alienate a lot of listeners Sorry. early doors, but I'm throwing it out there. And Finney, I'd love to know what you think about this. When you watch old clips of Don Bradburn, he looks like a blood, he looks like a Sunday cricketer. He's just got a late dab and nothing else. I'm throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out there. It, it, it's always just some bloke bowling military medium, and Don Bradburn just dabs it dabs it down to third man. What do you reckon, Finney? Yeah, he looks like a walking wicket, doesn't he? (laughs) (laughs) But it is funny. It is funny. I mean, you can only judge people on how they go in their time, can't you? So to average 99 point whatever, there's absolutely no doubt that he's the greatest ever because he played what was put before him and there was no one that was on a par with him. But it is funny. Like, I, I... do and when I play test cricket and international cricket and you bowl a spell at 82 miles an hour and everyone says this boat's bowling absolute powder puffs he's not trying or he's past it or he's useless I would have loved to see a speedometer on some of those people who played in the 60s or 70s because however much they like to tell us that it was 95 miles an hour whipping around your ears I'm here to tell you it wasn't <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with Finney I'm inclined to agree with you there I've got to say uh, well look I mean we're still talking about the great man Don Bradman all these years later even if we are slightly sullying his reputation uh, and it's nice to think that you know a hundred years from now people will go back and find old footage of Stephen Finn winning the league of Middlesex and they'll just be going what the fuck is that on his face <laughs> now that moves us on very very nicely uh, but well done England uh, well, let's, let, we won't uh, make any predictions on the rest of the score of the series but nobody can ever take that victory away from us um, but let's talk about the other ridiculously good uh, test match that took place between West Indies and Bangladesh now I was saying before we start recording this podcast and last week I was saying to these two I was saying is there a more boring test series in the world in Bangladesh versus West Indies. I said, I can't. I mean, that is so dull. I said, we're not talking about that on the podcast. And do you know what? I, I deserve to be proven wrong. I should never question test cricket in all its glory. Kyle Mayers, the greatest test debut of all time. I'm throwing it out there. It is the greatest debut of all time. I don't care what anybody says. Greatest test debut I've ever seen. This is the bloke who took two years out of cricket in 2018. He's only just come back. His first class average is about 28 or something. This innings had no previous form whatsoever. This is like when a 1,000 to one shot is suddenly leading the Grand National in the final straight. There's absolutely no reason he should have been able to do this. 24s, seven sixes. West Indies won by three wickets. It was uh, it was just an absolute thing of beauty. Uh, Dan Norcross, now you are probably the biggest cricket anorak here. Had you ever heard of this bloke before? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so if you've tuned into Zero Zero yeah. Dots Given for cutting edge, yeah, cutting edge analysis, we've never heard of no, it. No, well, we hadn't, and for quite a good reason, because he was a bowling all-rounder. He was a bowling all-rounder <laughs> who hadn't really, you know, he hadn't sort of pulled up trees in, uh, in in West Indies domestic cricket, and he'd averaged about 23, 24 with a bat. It's the most fantastic story, potentially, in, in Test cricket. It's the most unusual double hundred since Jason Gillespie, and we've heard so much about Jason Gillespie's double hundred from Jason Gillespie, <laughs> ever since. I think we're going to hear a similar amount about this. The highest score on debut is, as every listener to this podcast knows, is R.E. Foster's 287 at Sydney in 1903. Oh, yeah. An incredible oh, yeah, innings yeah, yeah. when England won by five wickets and a stonking Yeah, match. Dan was commentating uh, at the time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. But this is, uh, this is of an order of magnitude totally different because uh, I've been to Chittagong and I've seen what that pitch is like and what Mahidi Hassan can do. I know Shaky Bal Hassan was injured, but, they, you know, 
Bangladesh are a decent side, and at home, they're a very good side. They've caused Australia problems there. Uh, won a game against Australia on their own patch. They beat England at Ducker four years ago. Um, that is an astounding point, and it's a bit of a one-off. I remember, I, I remember playing club cricket for years with a guy called Jonathan Wood, or Jonathan Wall, and he was rubbish. I mean, he never got over 15. What, a bloke never. called Wall no, didn't no, have a forward no. defensive? Oh, no. <laughs> the one thing he didn't have was a forward defensive. And uh, and, and, and for, for years and years and years, we picked him because he would turn up. You know, he was like absolutely classic. We can rely on him to be there. I, I, I don't reckon I ever saw him get over 20. One day, he smashed 87 out of nowhere or 50 balls to win a game at Oxshot Village. Up yours, Oxshot oh. Village. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh mate, they're they're my they're my biggest rivals. Yeah, well mate. they should where, where, be because we know what they're was like. He hitting it onto, was he hitting the sixes onto the tennis court? He, was he? Was actually, that there back then? He, he did hit one onto the tennis court. I hit four balls in four balls in that game, but that's another man. <laughs> uh, but I was overshadowed by uh, by Jonathan Wall, who was absolutely fantastic. And uh, uh, my wife turned to me because she was watching it. And she knew Jonathan. She said, uh, "Well, uh, what? Well, I, I don't understand what's." What's I don't how how can he do that? So don't worry, he'll, he'll get he'll get three next week. Scratching she's going, around, is he, she's going. Is yeah. he single? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but tell you I this, the wrong cricketer you, here. Kyle Mayers. I mean, if he, I, 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 I don't know what Finney thinks about this. Once you've hit two hundred and ten not out on debut, is that a brilliant thing or is it an absolute disaster for the rest of your life? I mean, how will he ever be able to concentrate? Because he's just pulled off one of the most amazing feats of Test cricketing history. And nothing's ever going to compare with that. It's over, isn't it? I mean, you know, he's put a bit of pressure on himself for the rest of his career. And he finished every time that every time they need four hundred the last day, they go, "Don't worry, Carl will get it." He's going, "No, I've never done that before." By the way, that, that's that's not a thing. Uh, what do you reckon, Finney? Should you retire? Oh, you'd be tempted, wouldn't you? I mean, it's, it, it must be hard. And I mean, I had very good early days in my career and haven't quite lived up to those in the last couple. And you do look back at it and you think, shit, really, was my best day of my, my career that long ago? Or is that going to be the best day in my career? And yeah, if you get 210 not out chasing to win a world record or to chase a world record, then yeah, you've got to question whether it's ever, ever going to get better for you, which must be in a horrible place to be. Well, I mean, I, I don't mean to uh, to mock Michael Vaughan because uh, I've actually got a lot of time for Michael Vaughan. Uh, but uh, I did notice as well, we're not the only ones who had no idea who he was because he tweeted after the Mayors innings saying, remember the name Kyle Mayers, which is only, a, only something you say about sportsmen when they do something well when they're like 17, 18, right? But he's twenty-eight, and he's he's been his his first-class average is pretty is pretty ropey. So when Michael Vormont remember the name Carl Mayers, I went, well, I'll remember the innings, but I'm not expecting him to carry this on for another ten years. But you, you remember the name because it was dead handy in pub quizzes. That that's the thing. That's look, true. Look, and who knows? Maybe his career will kick on from here, and he'll become a, like a massive presence in world cricket. It would be amazing. I mean, there's a great story attached to him because, as I say, he started as a bowling all-rounder. And he was for most of his career. And then he got injured. And so he started to concentrate more on batting. And of course, with the West Indies having uh, a lot of people dropping out of that test touring party, he got the nod. You know, they put him in. And they're sort of fulfilling a tour here more than anything else. And yet they've pulled off one of the most exciting test victories. There's been some incredible test cricket in the last few weeks that we've been seeing. I mean, we've seen India in Australia... And that was the most amazing Test Series victory of all time, it seemed, in a way, in a series, given 
the number of players that they had out and Washington Sunder coming from nowhere to do extraordinary things. Um, and then we've had England, of course, against India. And we've had the Pakistan-South Africa series where all sorts of shenanigans have been going on there. I mean, Test cricket is alive. Its beating heart is throbbing so heavily. I'm slightly worried it's going to explode and, you know, that'll be the end of it. Now, I've almost got a serious cricket question off the back of that. Um, because I should point out as well, just to make that run chase even more remarkable from Mayers, they did it with one and a half overs left on the day. It was a proper chase, this, proper chase. And we've seen uh, Pereira for Sri Lanka in the last few years, one of the greatest ever fourth innings. We've seen Ben Stokes at Headingley. We've now seen this. We saw Pant against Australia just a few weeks ago. Has one day international cricket and 2020 cricket and the way that these guys can bat nowadays revolutionised the chase in test cricket, Stephen Finn. That was actually quite a good question. I surprised myself with that one. Definitely. I think without the introduction of T20 cricket, particularly, and the development of people's skills and their ability to hit all round the ground, I think without that, we wouldn't see what we've seen in the last couple of years in terms of people's ability to be able to score quickly and score in strange ways on the last day of a test match. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we talk about past records and we talk about, oh, it'll be the highest run chase ever in test history. But those records are really there to be broken now. And I think that it comes to when you're talking about the declaration earlier, things like that will be in the back of people's minds that we've seen a lot of special performances from people on the last innings or on the last day of a game over the last few years. And that's something that you do have to account for a little bit when looking at the history books in scenarios like this. So there's absolutely no doubt that T20 cricket has, I think, made the game in those circumstances more entertaining. Some people will argue that T20 cricket has affected the fundamentals of test match batting, but we've seen England have a big shift back towards traditional test match batting, and that is really reaping its rewards now with the way that they've posted big first innings runs over the last few weeks in the subcontinent. Um, but yeah, T20 cricket, I think, makes that back end of the game a completely different proposition now to, to it have ever has been over the course of the la- or the history of cricket, I think. I agree. And I, I think with, when 2020 at first did affect the English batting in test matches, we were wafting outside off stump and playing stupid shots. But I think the modern day cricketer now is the pennies drop that you basically need to be three different players. You need to be a 20-20, a 50-over and a test match player. And if they can suddenly use the skills they've learned in the shorter format in test match, I think, you know, they thought limited overs cricket would be the death of test cricket, but I think it's made it more exciting than ever. Uh, Dan Norcross, you're very patiently holding your hand in the sky. Well, because I think Billy's made an absolutely brilliant point. I think basically test cricket, the new template is play like an old-style test cricketer for a few days play like a 50-over cricketer for a day and a bit and play like a T20 cricketer for the last three hours. I mean, essentially, a test match is now all three formats of the game in one five-day period. It's like a Neapolitan ice cream. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. (laughs) I do love a Neapolitan ice cream, you're right. Well, do you know what? Save it for next week, Dan. Save it for next week. Uh, Guys, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. I I don't think it was a Kyle Mayer's debut, but I don't think it was Darren Pattinson or Kerrigan either. Maybe I'm pretty happy. I think Alistair Cook, maybe, you know, a cheap little second innings 100. Is that bold? That's a bit. That uh, is, yeah, that is a bit bold. Absolutely. Going on to break every record in the history of podcasts then. Yeah, hang on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we'll all be knighted at this rate. Um, I will say one thing that is not, uh, which I'm not a fan of, 
is that limited overs cricket, uh, Craig, Braff, uh, Craig Brathwaite batting for the West Indies in that test match with sunglasses on. He looked like Eric Cartman in that episode of South Park where he says, you will respect my authority. He looked ridiculous. That is one thing that I don't, I don't like seeing. I don't like seeing baseball caps. I don't like seeing sunglasses. Next thing I know in test matches, somebody's going to bowl with a cap backwards and I'm going to, I'm going to stop watching cricket forever. Yeah, you, so Granddad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this should be you saying this. This should be you saying this, shouldn't it? Um, right, chaps, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Now, I should point out that we'll be back next week. We uh, keep an eye out on social media for because we're going to try and record it straight after the England-India second test. So keep an eye out for that. Um, but very much looking forward to that. And you can follow us. This is exciting, guys. Here we go. You can follow us on Twitter at zero ducks pod we're also on instagram at zero ducks pod and producer sal he just went i'm just going to get this handle before anyone else can take it we are on tiktok at zero ducks pod now i have no idea what happens on tiktok dan norcross i'm sure has no idea what happens on tiktok <laughs> Stephen finn is the only one here who i might who might know what happens on tiktok finney are you on tiktok um, I have partaken in a few TikTok dances and or role play scenarios. Yes. <laughs> so it's all down to so, right. It's you. It's you. You're, yeah. you're you're the designated TikTok man for this. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah. So so I mean, good thinking for producer Sally. Went look. I don't know if we're going to use it, but so no one else can have it. You know, in case there's any counterfeit zero ducks pod out there. Um, but yeah, at zero ducks pod. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok. Uh, any questions that you've got for us, anything you'd love us to talk about. Uh, but very, very nice to be here because, you know, we decided that what this pandemic is severely lacking is more podcasts. So you are welcome, planet Earth. Guys, see you next week. See you next week. See ya. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.